Welcome back to The Noble Broker. My name is Jonathan Linkstein, your host. And remember, on The Noble Broker, we welcome producers and professionals from the real estate industry. Today, I have a true professional with me, Justin Napola. Justin, welcome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Although I, you know, we'll use the term professional very loosely. Well, for today's sake, we're going to consider it full-fledged professional. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Justin, we've known each other for, what, five, six years? Probably, maybe, maybe yeah. pushing seven at this point? Could be. Could, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, where you come from, what you're about, and, and how you relate to the real estate industry. Sure. Is it, this is the origin story? The, no, this is the about you. The about me. Who oh. is Justin in headlines? Okay. Well, Justin Napola is a real estate attorney with Napola Yanta Attorneys at Law. We have offices in Hollywood and Stewart, but we cover the whole state. Um, I've been doing real estate law now for 26 years. Um, I've worked in pretty much every facet of the industry. I worked for developers, I worked for underwriters, and then six or seven years ago, uh, I went out on my own with my partner. And that's how I ended up here. There we go. And we, we met through the Realtor Association. What I love about your involvement there is you're about educating everyone, whether mm -hmm. they work with you or not, Correct. which is a fantastic trait. It's rare as an attorney to be selfless like that. So we, uh, we do appreciate your, your demeanor and the way you go about your business. Um, jumping right in, you're a real estate attorney. I'm a real estate broker. Most of our listeners are real estate agents, the vast majority. We have taken a straw poll, and eight out of 10 are in real estate. The <laughs> other two, we think, are from overseas. We're not really sure why okay. they're listening. But okay. anyway, so we're focused on- As long as they're on enjoying it, that's all that matters. <laughs> engagement, right? Exactly. So for the real estate agents out there, why is it important for an agent and or a broker to have a strong partnership or relationship with a real estate attorney like yourself? When a person purchases real estate, it's usually the largest investment they're ever going to make in their lifetime. And it's not an area that you want to um, be short-sighted and scrimp and be frugal and end up costing yourself in the long run. It's really important that you work with trained, educated professionals. and. There are many, many great people in this industry, but it's important that you partner with somebody who has that knowledge, has that experience, but also is willing to help you at a, you know, a moment's notice. If uh, you know, you're doing, writing a contract up on a Sunday morning, you need to know you can pick up the phone and ask a question right away, and that that person will be available to help you. Um, you need to know that if for whatever reason the deal you know, is... Uh, stumbling or has issues. You want somebody who understands and is going to work with you to get that deal closed. You want to know that, you know, the person you're working with is involved in the community, is somebody who you can know and trust and like, and uh, those are all important, I think. It, it makes a difference. There's a lot of crossover from real estate to, to law. Absolutely. Um, well, most real estate agents cause issues that we need the lawyer for <laughs> uh, or want to help our customer get out of anyhow uh, or get through, right? but no like and trust. You just mentioned that. Mm -hmm. um, and w that's really prevalent on the real estate side where if you don't know us, you're not gonna use us. If you don't like us, you're certainly not gonna use us, but mm -hmm. most of all, if you don't trust us. And I think the order of importance on those kind of changes when you go to the, the legal side. I feel like trust is absolutely premier, premier, number one. If you don't trust the person, it doesn't matter if you know them or like them. Correct. Right. So going along those lines, it's how have you been able to 
insert yourself as the resource, the guide, the person that you should know, you must like, and you might as well trust. Sure. Trust is probably the most important. It's also the hardest to build. You know, you can know lots of people, but until they've shown that they're trustworthy or you can depend on them, that they do answer your questions, they do respond, that they do work with you, that they do help you, um, that's when you can start building that trust. I like to do, you know, as much education as I possibly can. I enjoy teaching. You do a lot of teaching, yeah. I do. Um, I, so I enjoy that. And, and that's always an opportunity to um, build that trust because people do get to see you as a uh, subject matter expert or just have that certain knowledge that they may not have or need. And, uh, you know, so that's how I build that trust. I agree. I agree. What's your favorite class to teach? You know, I'm biased towards the um, fair housing stuff. I okay. was the chair of the Broward County Human Rights Board for a long time, and I sat on that board for many years, and so that's always been a passion of mine is fair housing. I was fortunate enough to be on that board when we added some protections that are very unique to Broward County. Broward County is one of the only municipalities in the country that protects veterans and active military um, in housing where a landlord cannot discriminate against the veteran. A, a seller cannot refuse to sell to a veteran who wants to use a VA loan. Um, we were approached by a local um, veterans nonprofit who said this is a real issue. And if you don't see it, you would have no idea that you would think, well, everybody loves veterans, everybody wants to support veterans. But there are landlords who will not want to rent to them. I believe that. There, that's that's a major issue, I mean, across all protected classes. Yes. Right? So there, there's a few, actually, in Broward County that are unique to Broward County over Correct. the majority of the other ones in Florida. There's veterans. I actually didn't know that one, to be yes. honest with you. I knew there were restri restrictions on the state level as far as, like, disclosures. You have a certain amount of time mm -hmm. to get back to active duty, which I completely understand. There is a national protection for active duty that's a little different. Um, but it actually doesn't protect before signing the lease. If an active duty member has a lease and they're called up to duty, the landlord can't evict them. They can't. And that's the Broward County. Th that's national. <clears throat> that's national. Okay. Broward County says that you can't refuse to lease to them because they are active duty. So the county um, protections are pre-contract. Pre, Pre-lease, correct. Their yes. access, their offer, their pre-contract. Correct. The national ones are more... Uh, operational or relationship Correct. between landlord tenant. Yes, because once they're in the lease, the military wants people to know that right, you can't, you know, evict the person or do something, you know, punish them because they've been called up. It's right. beyond their control. There, there's nuances, municipality by municipality, Correct. county by county, that change and, and protect. There's another one in Broward, the uh, source of income. Correct. Right. That that one um, is also uh, fairly new, and th that's a little controversial um, because it was tested and not the best way. So any legal source of income is protected. So that includes um, your Section 8 vouchers, but it also includes, um, you know, whether it be some sort of rental assistance from the county or... Um, right, that was the, the intent behind it, right? The intent behind it. And then unfortunately what happened is once the law went into effect, there were groups that were called testers who would call... Um, oh, you don't renters. say... Yes, they, they would call brokers, they would call uh, landlords and say, will you rent to someone who has, is using Section 8 vouchers? 
Um, and if the broker or the landlord said no, the next day they were getting a letter Served that they were being right there. sued. I mean, that was that's been huge over the last few years. Yeah, testers for criminal records, um, fair housing. Uh, source of income section. Are you eight. still seeing the section eight? Yeah, much? I mean, we still see the testers. Mm-hmm. Um, we fortunately, knock on wood, haven't seen one in, in a couple of years um, at, at our company. Um, but I have heard them across the state, yeah. and they're just going through different pockets. And it's the same law firms over and over. I'm really interested to hear your opinion, being on the other side as as someone who is involved in the mm-hmm. protection of these classes, who helped or, or was involved in the creation of these protections. How do you feel when you see attorneys and testers and people take advantage of it on the other side just counteracting what the intent was? It's troubling. Um, And I think, unfortunately, you see this with almost any law that is put in place with good intentions. Somebody immediately finds a way to um, take advantage of it. Welcome to America. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Florida capital of uh, litigation. hundred um, percent. So, yeah, you know, there needed to be a big educational push to explain to landlords and realtors that this was going to in, going into effect, and there wasn't. Um, so the first people to find out were these people who wanted to test it um, and, you know, try to probably make a quick buck and not protect those that it should have been. How Affordable housing is a huge issue in Broward, in in the country as a whole, but in particular in our market. Mm -hmm. And so these people legitimately needed help and needed protection because if a landlord refuses to lease to them, they end up homeless. Who do they go to? Exactly. Right. So, um, and a lot of these vouchers are better than money because the county or the government is paying it directly to the landlord. They're guaranteed their rent every month. It's reliable. One thing you don't exactly. have to worry about. And a lot of times the tenants are better tenants because they know one slip up, they're losing their, their They're aid. losing their voucher. They're, Correct. They're losing their help. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it is a misnomer, but it's unfortunate there are people who take advantage of it. Now, you see it a lot with the ADA as well. Oh, completely. Yeah. Now, but with websites too, that doesn't mm-hmm. really impact anyone, yep. but, um, or at least the, the vast majority of people who are affected or trying to financially benefit, yep. right? Just like that. So... Let, let's let's backtrack for a second. So you had you, you had all of this, uh, all of these passions. You have all of these mm-hmm. passions. You're involved in you. You're involved with Broward Brow, Realtors Association of Greater Fort Lauderdale Broward Charitable. I'm missing that name up. I used to be on <laughs> the foundation. On <laughs> they changed names though, so it's now the Broward, Broward Realtors Charitable Foundation. Thank you. We'll edit that out. <laughs> um, no, we're gonna let everybody know that you've got that I've missed mixed the name. Up the name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Linda Gloria. Please forgive me. Um, you're involved with Hands on Broward. I am. I'm on the board of Hands on Broward. Neighbors for Neighbors. I am the board chair of Neighbors for Neighbors. What else are you involved with? What am I missing? Um, the only other one is um, I am on the board of directors for the Broward County Bar Association, although I'm terming off soon. So, But by the time this comes out, I may not be on that board <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's a big involvement right there. That is. Um, it's a great organization, and um, so I was really honored to be involved. I'm sure you see some crazy stuff come through there. Not so much with that one, um, because it is just a local voluntary bar association. Okay. It's not like the big Florida one where you do, they see the crazy stuff. We, right. 
We're just local. So. Well, you see crazy stuff day to day. Yes, absolutely. So let's, uh, before we jump in and go directly into some experiences that you've had, okay. this came from somewhere. You were not always Justin Napola, attorney at law, real estate attorney, teaching classes, getting involved in the association. Okay. Where did you come from? What's your backstory? How okay. did you decide to go down this pathway and find your passion for community and law at the same time? Okay. Um, so I was born and raised in New York and moved here in the middle of high school. Like many high schoolers, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, it wasn't until I was in the middle of college that I discovered, oh, I want to go into the FBI. So there are three ways to get into the FBI. You speak another language, you go into the military, or you become a lawyer. There's Lawyers actually, see- There's actually four ways. What's the fourth way? Handcuffs. Hey, well, fair enough. <laughs> Um, yes. So three of those four options <laughs> really didn't work for me. I'm terrible with languages. Um, at the time, I didn't love the idea of going into the military. Um, and lawyers, and obviously being arrested, not ideal. Not on the list so, of things to do. Going to law school seemed like the easiest option. Um, I wanted to find an all-male school in Alaska so that I would have zero distractions. I somehow screwed up and ended up on the beach in Southern California. It was uh, a good second option. It was a very good second option. It was very good. I also met my wife there, so that worked out great. Um, Where would you be today? I have no idea. I, I honestly don't know. So uh, it was very fortunate. Um, she was also from the East Coast, so after we, I graduated, we moved back. I applied to the FBI, applied to a bunch of federal law enforcement agencies. They said, congratulations, you're hired, you're moving to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) Um, 25-year-old Justin thought the idea of living in the cold for five years sounded horrible. Now that I'm older, I'm like, five years, no big deal. But at the time, it sounded terrible. Um, My family had always been in real estate. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I will go into real estate. And then that's how I ended up working for a developer for a while. Then... um, switched over and said for a minute, well, maybe I'll open a title company. How hard could that be? Um, so, you know, maybe I should go work for one first. Got a job as an underwriter, worked there for a long time and loved it. Um, and then they had some management changes. And at the time I said, you know what? Maybe it's time to do my own thing. So I think the moral of that story is you wanted to go to the FBI. Yes. The FBI wanted you to go to Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes, correct. And you said, buy FBI. That is correct. And dropped into real estate. It's, yes. it's funny how things fall fall in place. Yeah. Do you ever regret not going into the FBI? Very little. Um, I'm sure it would have been a lot of fun and there's it would have been exciting. You know, I'd seen Silence of the Lambs and that always seemed like what you're doing. And I'm sure it's nothing like that. I'm you're sure not, it's not you're not catching serial killers. You're probably just running around looking at documents all day and if I could doing economic crime. <laughs> right. If I could guarantee that I could get transplanted on the behavioral analysis unit in Criminal Minds on TV, See, I, w- I would probably do that. It would be great. That would be cool. But it's probably not what it's really like. No. No, probably not. No, it's right. probably a lot of, uh, you know, oh, this person defrauded people. Oh, you're probably working on, like, the crypto guy. And it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like fun. There you go. We, who knows? We could have gone after the WeWork CEO. See? Um, <laughs> driving back. We, we've digressed. Yes. Let's get back to real okay. estate. Back to real so estate. So let's talk about some experiences. Yes. As an attorney, I know 
the issues that I have called attorneys for. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm someone I'd like to say I know a thing or two about the industry and contract yes. disputes, etc. So when I call one, it's a real question. Mm-hmm. It is a valid, true, I want to make the attorney say, whoa, that's interesting. Yes. <laughs> that's what I want. That's the response I want. I, I don't want it depends. Oh, I right? love that answer. We do it's, it's love a good one. It. It's, it's a, a good one. It's every attorney's, every attorney's favorite answer. I've co-opted that as a broker. I'm, I'm kind of like a pseudo attorney. No, I don't have a no. license to do it, but we pretend to a little no, bit. That's what real estate is. It's you know, so it depends legal. has entered my uh, yes. vocabulary. But you hear some questions, and agents who know, like, and trust you, obviously you're going to be on their speed dial mm-hmm. because there's so many different legal complications that can come up before contract, during contract, even post-closing. Sure. Right? There's Actually, I think there's more questions post-closing than pre-closing, in my opinion, uh, of complicated ones. So before we jump into a story, I want to ask you a question. Okay. What is the craziest story or circumstance that you've had to be involved with, either from the real estate side or from you as a title attorney? Probably the craziest time I ever had was when I was on the underwriter, the title insurance underwriter side. I was working for the underwriter, and I had to actually be called in to uh, court, federal court, as an expert witness because there was was basically called a ghost title company. What does that mean? They held themselves out as a title company, but they were not. They were not licensed. They were not a company in any way, but people would send them their deals, send them money, and then they would keep it. That was it. That they were just, just closing never occurred. They, Office didn't exist. But it'd be fake closings. They would never do the payoffs. They would never do. It. They had fake fraudulent title policies. They had fake fraudulent closings. People thought they were closing, but they were just keeping all the money. Um, it was the great. I was at their office before, and it was the highest security I had ever been in in an office, and nobody worked there. It's really a hair salon in the back. That would have made more sense. It, <laughs> it was this massive office and empty. So but you, you cameras, were called, security, all that. So you were called as an expert witness. Correct. To, to explain what an actual title company would do, which is not make fake policies and keep all the money. Was this pre-law or this was or this was after law? This yeah, I was an attorney, but I was working for the an underwriter at the time. This is before I had my own practice. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting and uh, intimidating at the same time. Oh, but wait, it gets crazier. Uh-oh. The... The judge the t- was a ghost judge. No, no. <laughs> the title agent, who was not actually a title agent, but the person they were going after, they had to drop the case when he died by falling off a boat and hit, getting hit with the propeller. So... Ouch. Yeah. Uh, but they dropped the case because that you cannot prosecute it. Ghost. Um, the, the ghost, ghost from the ghost, ghost title, title company. company. Wow, that's uh, yeah. that's one way to slice it. So, uh, <laughs> title was very crazy industry back then. <laughs> How long ago was this? Oh, it's got to be over ten years ago, probably. Okay, it's and a long time. so there you go. There's there is what scams and and deception of the public used mm-hmm. to be. Then. Yeah, and is that blatant? I, I bet you still see that now. I have not seen a ghost title company in a while. That. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Because they're a ghost. Yeah, correct. Now, I, but I'm also not on that side. The underwriters would see it um, because they're the ones 
they're pretending to you know they're pretending to have actual underwriters on the. So there are scams and fraud, fraudulent transactions, and impersonation, identity theft mm-hmm. that all happens all now. Uh, what are and a big one right now is is land, mm-hmm. vacant land fraud. I mean, you think Vac- about it. Vacant land fraud is a huge issue. It's been for a long time. Um, fortunately, the counties have gotten better at that. People are more aware. You know, there's a lot of as soon as you see. It's really hard, though. It's really hard to to deduce what is going to be fraud and what's not. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, especially during COVID and post-COVID, how many people do you transact with that you don't actually meet? Sure. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I spoke with an agent uh, from Boca Raton, and her her last five closings were all people she never met. Never saw the house, never met until they actually moved here for closing or post-closing. That's amazing. So as a real estate agent, how can we cover ourselves or know that we're not a wasting our time or b getting ourselves into a big mess yeah, it, it's hard because there are like you said there are a lot of red flags that maybe aren't red flags just not seeing the people nowadays isn't that strange i had a uh, realtor come to me just a few months ago with a deal where it was a foreign owner which is a red flag because they're absentee and they were selling to a buyer, but selling at something like $300,000 under market value, which is another red, flag, red right flag right there. This is South Florida. People don't give you a dollar off. Exactly. So, and I felt terrible. I, I told the realtor, I'm like, look, I cannot close this. There are too many red flags. And I actually don't know whatever happened. I probably should find out and ask him. But it was just one of those strange that you just have to trust your instinct. And sometimes, you know what? If you lose what could have been a good deal, it's better than, you know, making a mistake and getting stuck with a bad deal. What's important that you just said is the ability as a professional to walk away when you know it's a bad move. Yeah. There's times in life where errors and issues are just glaring at us in the face and we choose to ignore it because of the positivity that's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. there's There's a quote I love, which actually goes against what we're talking about right now. It says, don't be afraid. Think about what could go right. Don't think about what could go wrong. I actually reversed it. Don't think about what could go wrong. Think about what could go right. Yep. And in this circumstance, you do have to kind of you slow have down. To be aware. Exactly. Because you just have to be able to step away and go, you know what? It's not worth it if, you know, let somebody else close, let somebody else do it. Because what are the three most common mistakes you see an agent make from start of contract through closing or even post closing? Start a contract um, is not filling out the contract properly or fully. Um, we get that. I actually got a contract from an attorney, and they failed to fill it out completely. And I was like, "Really? Like, yeah, if you're not you should know better." Exactly. Yeah. Now, a lot of like, the Farbar contract, they do a great job. If left blank, you know, it's 15 days, and they. But there are still times you still need to check stuff off and. I'll fill it out. So, yeah, that needs to be done. I love how you read a contract and it's trying to fix stupid. Yeah. Right? If, if you forget to fill this out, it's going to be this as yes. if it was filled out. You're trying to kind of cover people who don't really cover their own bases. Correct. But even then, still, it's so, especially, you know, the realtors have the software. It's so easy to just put the information in. It auto-populates. Exactly. It just, even if it says, you know, if not filled in, it's Do better. Do all the title attorneys a favor agents this is a message to you and utilize the software that's in front of you learn the tools of mm-hmm. your business and the tools exactly. of your trade 
you don't go into a profession and not learn the infrastructure of what helps you drive your business. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you know how to search the MLS, you should know how to write a contract. Correct. If you know how to do all of this, you should know the process of a sale and be able to properly represent someone. But so, you, you know what? They can also ask. There's no shame in asking. I answer my phone all day long, I'm sure. You get probably 10 times as many phone calls. I answer my phone most of the day. Yeah. Between yeah. the hours of 8.30 and 5.30. And you're never going to be offended by somebody saying, hey, how yeah. do I do this properly? Correct. And you help yeah. guide. That's, exactly. That's the that's idea. What you want. The idea is if, if we all elevate each other, together we will have a better reputation. Mm -hmm. We'll have a better experience. I, I love asking this question. What's the hardest part of a real estate transaction to you? The hardest part? Um, that's a good question. I, probably the hardest part is just getting my name on the contract. But after <laughs> that, um, it's just getting everybody to work together. It's communication. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. Some people are not great at communication. Uh, some people need extra hand-holding and communicate too much or just have way too many issues. And... Uh, it's communication. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, I was looking for, when I ask agents, I'm looking for the other agent. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. And it's because it becomes so adversarial. Yeah. When I'm on the buyer side, you're on the seller side, we need to be on the same team. Exactly. And it's the other parties, the lender, the title company, the attorneys, that end up in the middle of this, this little tit-for-tat battle mm -hmm. back and forth. Oh, yeah. They didn't let me in at 5 p.m., so I'm going to wait to give them an answer as long All as I possibly time. can. It's very mm -hmm. spiteful. It's very spiteful. Um, how, how, how do you navigate that, that high stress, <sighs> that people being sensitive and emotional mm -hmm. and, and having those at just peak levels in a real estate transaction where you just need everybody to work together? It's, it's frustrating <clears throat> for sure. Um, you know, I see what I see so much is the, I'm not giving the keys until the seller, gets, till the seller gets their money. Hate that and, one. You know, and, of course, everybody wants to close Friday afternoon. And 4 p.m. 4 p.m. It's like they all forget banks close at 4 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Um, and I'm glad that they updated the contract and changed the law that now, as long as the closing agent has the money and all documents are signed and delivered, the seller has to give the keys. But a lot of times the buyer's agent doesn't want to fight with them. So and wait, before before we move on, I want to clarify what we're talking about yes. for, for okay. listeners, oh, right? Sorry. As you and I know, we okay, know. You're correct. We know. Yes. You know, you're here, I'm here, we're on the same page. Um, so the revision of the contract in, what was it, 2021, right? Correct. In 2021, de created the term closing as a defined term in the contract. Mm -hmm. And it specifies that when the closing agent, again, defined term, uh, the title company handling the closing, says that all monies have been received and all documents have been signed, you are deemed closed. Correct. And closed, or the time of closing, is when all keys, remotes, transponders, mm -hmm. garage door openers, all access is given from seller to buyer. Correct. But commonly, sellers are holding, and listing agents are holding the keys hostage mm -hmm. for the seller to see that incoming wire in their account, but that is not needed. Correct. That's what we're talking That's about. That's correct. So the biggest, here's, here's the part I really want to ask you. We're getting into legal, the legal advice section of this podcast. Okay. So when that comes up, I always find myself on the phone explaining it's okay, everything's fine, even a wire confirmation. Hey, you got the money mm -hmm. coming your way, but they still don't want to give up the keys. So it's a funny piece. 
what does the buyer do? What does the seller do? And what do the agents do to manage yeah. that? It, it's difficult. And I, I'm going to use my attorney. It depends. I love Look, it. But you know, I, I leave it up to what the buyer's agent wants to do. I will basically let, I'll follow their lead. If they want to play hardball and say, look, we're done. I need those keys. It's Friday afternoon. It's a three-day weekend. They're moving they, they need to move. They're homeless. They're, you know, all, everything they own is in a moving truck right now. Yeah, then I will play hardball. If they're like, look, this person's been a pain in the butt, but we'll give them whatever. You know, yeah, then, okay. So I'll, I'll work with that, too. You let the cards fall where exactly. they fall. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I always look at, look, the clients are the realtor's um, clients. They're they're the ones that they're responsible for. So I just work the transaction. I will do whatever I can to make everybody's life easier. And if they need me to kind of lean on somebody, I will. If they're like, you know, just back off. You know what's crazy of that whole scenario? The agents are the ones driving that situation to get to that point. Mm -hmm. They are. Oh, yeah. You know, a listing agent, oh, no, we don't need the keys. I'll hold on to them until you get paid. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's now the expectation that the seller has of the experience. Correct. If the agents, the listing agents, were more educated to that effect and really just know what the contract says and not, I've been in the business for 25 years. I know how this goes. That's not how it works. Well, it changes all the time. Exactly. It does. And 2021, we had this contract revision, and that changed exactly the letter of how it happens. So listing agents educating the consumer and educating themselves, and buyer's agents educating their buyer and and kind of seeing this ahead. Instead of, hey, we signed everything, all money's in, where are the keys? It's when are we exchanging the keys or even getting them ahead of time. Yeah. Right? So it's important to educate people across the industry which is a big part of what you do. It's also scheduling as well. Like I said, everybody wants to close on Friday afternoon. Then everybody needs to know funds are not going to be distributed until Monday morning. Expectations. You know, exactly. Like You want to get your money? Close Wednesday morning, and you'll have your money that afternoon. But if you schedule on a Friday afternoon, then you, you, you need to prepare patient. for what's ahead. Exactly. Prepare for what's ahead. So let's uh, let's go back around. Um, you were going from helping agents back okay. to helping the community. Okay. Okay. Uh, what made you so passionate about getting involved in these organizations and the the charities that you serve on the board? You get involved. You spend so much of your time on. Mm-hmm. I don't know what possessed me the first time to just go out and volunteer with Hands On Broward. It was just oh, you know what? It probably was a New Year's resolution that hey, I should do more. Charity stuff. And I just went out, did some project, and I was hooked ever since. I don't play golf. I don't fish. I just would rather go, you know, build a house with Habitat. That's more fun to me. You look like you have more fun doing that than I see a lot of people in their in their spare time yeah. doing their hobbies. It's uh, it's interesting. And you put that hard hat on. You get up there with I, a I hammer and a tool oh, belt. Like, look, you know, I, I think you missed your calling there. I don't know. Um, probably not, because there's a lot of leeway with volunteers on how good you have to be <laughs> with something. The um, finished work is slightly below. Yes, the bar. <laughs> you know, I definitely am not a professional level, and probably never would be. Um, but I just enjoy it. Like it's just a nice change to get out and work with your hands and do something different when you sit in an office and wear a suit all day. Right, and it, it's very selfless what you do and giving back and making an impact without 
without wanting the glory, but we're going to talk about a glory piece you had for a bit. Okay. Now, not only are you passionate about this, but I know your wife is as well. And I know how much you commend and you applaud and you, you, you champion how great and how proud you are of her. Very much so. Um, and it's, it's the involvement that you each have and the passion that you each have that's now passing to your children. Correct. So you guys as a family, you were part of a Disney... Tell me about that. We were nominated for the Disney Points of Light fa- Volunteer Family of the Year. That's another not and, that's, and that's nationwide, right? That was a nationwide search... Um, and so we the were DPOL family of the year. That does sound good. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And we were fortunate enough to make it to the top five. So we were on Good Morning America, and the whole country voted. We did not win. I, it, it's now documented. I have to admit, we did not win. We did not come in first. But Disney was kind enough to invite the whole family up to Disney World for a week to stay and. It was great. Um, we had an amazing time. I, we had a tour guide, took us all around Disney. I accomplished a bucket list thing that I didn't even know was on my bucket list. We did all four parks in one day. Um, you can really only do that with a tour guide who will take you in and out and drive you to park to park, but it was a lot of fun. So that's, that's a really unique experience. And yes. since we're in Florida... I'm going to call a recall of that vote. I think there was a hanging chad on the there, ballots. There could have been. Um, you know, Cool experience the, altogether. It, it was a very cool experience. The family that won, they do amazing things. It was one of the best parts was we did get to meet the other top five families, and they were all great people. Um, the family that won was incredibly deserving. It was a young girl who had started a non, her own nonprofit to... I believe feeds homeless people, and it was that they feed thousands of people every week. So it well deserving, and it was great to meet them. I, I love hearing about these passions. I love seeing your journey for you, your family, your wife, everybody getting involved and really making a difference. You never know where that's going to take you. It might take right. you to Good Morning America. It might take you elsewhere. But when you are trying to help those around you, whether it's charity, philanthropic, or within your industry. It's always a successful ending. It never depends. And that's no bull. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Justin. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you, my friend. Thank you.